In the initial part of this study, I will be citing John 8:46 and John 13:38, other passages to follow. John 8:46 and 13:38. In the conversations and discussions Jesus had with people while he lived here on the earth, he demonstrated divine wisdom and insight every time he spoke. One example of this is Jesus knew the right questions to bring into the discussion. There's one example of this in John 8:46 when he said to the Jews, "If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me?" And there follows another example of this in John 13:38 when Jesus said to Simon Peter, "Will you lay down your life for my sake, many other examples like this, indicating Jesus had this insight into man that ordinary teachers on earth do not have. This divine wisdom, and one expression of this perfection of wisdom was his ability to raise the right questions. And this tells us that. One evidence of maturity and wisdom is the ability to know and then ask the right questions and then of course seek the right answers. Some may think the greatest sign of wisdom is to have all the answers. Actually, a great sign of wisdom is to know and ask the right questions. Tonight I want to talk about three of the right questions, a very simple study. What does God say? When we talk about faith, what do we mean? Being convinced that there is a God, yes. Placing our life in his hands and under his guidance, absolutely. Faith also means the first question we ask is, what does God say? It's very easy and tempting to fall into the habit of asking what men say before we ever get to God. And this can reach the point where we do not eventually bother to see what God has said. After we have scoured all the answers of men and selected the one that we like. And there will always be diversity and conflict and revision when you scour the answers of men. A subject comes up that may be controversial, and our first impulse may be to study everything men have said about it. Maybe to call preachers, email preachers, search the internet. Or we may have some individual person that we have placed some great confidence in, perhaps more than we should. And as soon as we encounter some question, we go to that person, our go-to person, who isn't inspired like the apostles. There's also the danger wrapped into this. The dangerous habit of depending upon human consensus. 
depending on human consensus. So an issue comes up, and we want to know what have brethren said about this. Or what is the consensus of scholars? And it may not occur to us, just as one brother can be wrong, many can be wrong. Just as one human scholar or commentator can be mistaken, many can be. They all can be. So the right question is always, what does God say? Let me illustrate. <coughs> I had a discussion with a man several years ago through digital communication, email. He wanted to study baptism. And he said in his inquiry, when did men start teaching baptism? What do the Methodists teach about baptism? What do the Baptists teach? How does that compare to what the Mormons teach? So you see his interest in the topic wasn't moving high enough. I wanted him to see that there's only really one question. What does God say? Now this is offered as just one illustration of many concerning the point at hand. The right question is always and the first question should always be what does God say about the work of the local church people will sometimes ask what do you do as compared to what other churches do and they will line up a comparative study or diagrams of what this church does compared to what this church does when I was in college there was a course called comparative religion it never got high enough. What does this group do compared to what this group does? The right question is always, what has God said? And in the New King James, just in the Old Testament, on 214 occasions, there is this phrase, the Lord said... There are hundreds of other phrases similar or the equivalent to that where the question goes as high as it ought to be. The Lord said. But there are 214 occurrences in the New King James that use that phrase. The Lord said. I'm going to give you two examples. Samuel said to Saul, this is notable, most of us remember it. According to 1 Samuel 15, 16, be quiet and I will tell you what the Lord said. Notice how those two things are tied together there and ought to be in our minds. Be quiet and I will tell you what the Lord said. This illustrates what my attitude ought to be toward the word of the Lord. I should be quiet. Turn the volume down on all those human comparisons and listen to what the Lord has said. If you neglect, if I ignore the Lord's word, I set myself in the direction of all manner of evil. Illustrated in Jeremiah chapter 9 verses 13 through 16. 
And it incorporates this phrase, Jeremiah 9, 13 through 16. And the Lord said, Because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, nor walked according to it, but they have walked according to the dictates of their own hearts, and after the Baals which their fathers taught them. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them this people with wormwood, and give them water of gall to drink. I will scatter them also among the Gentiles, whom neither they nor their fathers have known. And I will send a sword after them until I have consumed them. This kind of historical background should always get our attention and cause us to give more earnest heed to the things that we have heard and always get to, first of all, and ultimately, the right question, the highest question. What has God said? This is the right question before we ever scour the writings and opinions of men. And in Hebrews chapter 1, the opening statement in the book of Hebrews should always come to mind. You remember this? The opening statement in the book of Hebrews. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now, three words there. God has spoken. If you start the daily Bible reading schedule many of us follow, you read the account of creation in Genesis. And you read that the first few days of each year in the daily Bible reading schedule. Our attitude ought to be when we read that, that's what God said. That's what God said that he did. And that's the truth. It is interesting that those who have labored for years to deny the Genesis account literally find themselves these days challenged by evidence that they didn't consider. What's happening in the last several years, last 15 or 20 years, the modern DNA test and other such examinations forensically are being applied to bones and fossils discovered before these new techniques came into existence. Scientists are now using the new tools to study the old remains. And these new, more accurate, widely accepted dating and chemical tests are overturning and challenging the assumptions of evolutionary theories. These new findings happen periodically, challenging the evolutionary theories, and you can generally find them on page 137 of a magazine or a newspaper. Probably will not find them in the headlines. But from time to time, the headlines will even capture, the popular media will even capture 
these new discoveries. Reuters news service reported several years ago, and then it was picked up by CNN, that in Australia, human skeletal remains were tested with these new processes of DNA and forensics. And they had to say that this man dates way back to a time when according to evolutionary models that are in many science books, Homo sapiens did not exist. Now, do you think they went back and rewrote the science text? Back before missing links, this man lived. And he had facial features and body structures just like us. He was not the typical picture of the Neanderthal man. One scientist said, this individual has facial features, has morphology that is essentially modern, that wouldn't stand out in a crowd today, and that does not match the evolutionary models. So, <coughs> when you were in school or college, uh, some of these dating forensic methods if they existed, were not reported in the science textbooks. But all of that science that was pushed down the throats of students back then is not standing the test of the forensic tools available today, and higher than that is not standing the test of the right question. What did God say that he did? as reported in Genesis. We cannot stop just with that question, though. There are other right questions. What have I done? As you read the Bible, as you study or listen to Bible teaching, there must always be personal reflection. Perhaps when we read the Bible, we expect something like a jolt of lightning something that suddenly gets hold of us and changes us. From time to time, you may have an experience similar to that. You're reading, something gets your attention, a phrase, a passage, and it stands out, and it may be something that is immediately applicable and useful in your life, in your attitude. But that doesn't happen every time you open the Bible. Reality is... It is the cumulative influence of your long-term exposure to the Word of God over time and throughout your life that has consistent impact. You learn more and more. You understand a little more every year, every time you listen to a sermon or a Bible class. And as you personally apply that to your life and gradually discipline yourself, you become a growing person, the person you ought to be, more and more as you go along in life. Now, in this process, there must always be self-examination. Mere Bible reading and Bible study doesn't end the process. There must be self-examination accompanied by self-correction. You must think about what you have done. What have I done? It is one thing to read a passage about some misbehavior 
and recall all the people that you've known who committed that sin. It is one thing to read of some abomination and think about how prevalent that sin is today in the human race. Those observations may be true, but the real personal good comes when you examine yourself and you stop and say, have I done this? Am I guilty of this? What have I done about this or that? Do I have this good quality? Have I violated this passage? The habit of regular Bible reading must be developed, but with it, this serious matter, this right question, have I done this? Have I committed this sin, obeyed this command, adopted this attitude? Have I responded to God as described in the text of Scripture? And I'm talking about now what is illustrated in James chapter 1. At verse 21 down through verse 25. James 1, 21 through 25. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. The right questions. What has God said? What have I done? 